0: Lo talk Radio. Good Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network Today we're going to be reading from The Four Crafts of the Devil's Kingdom page, We'll start on page 112 Negatives versus Positives And we're talking about lawyer craft today The past sections merely scratches the surface of the information available from Brigham Young in regard to the legal profession. Throughout his lifetime of experience with lawyers, he concluded that most of them, number one, make business for each other, number two, misrepresent the facts and deceive the judge and the jury, number three, bewilder people with Latin and complicated legal terms, Number four, get paid for just giving advice. Number five, promote unnecessary lawsuits. Number six, destroy the peace of a community. Number seven, have misplaced values and goals. And number eight, have an obsessive desire for wealth. Following are brief quotations in support of the of these eight statements, all by Brigham Young unless otherwise stated. Number one, they make business for each other. Because of many corrupt lawyers in the nation, Brigham Young tried to encourage the education and training of lawyers among the saints themselves in order to have a more honest representation in the courts. Quote, I have been in the courts and have heard lawyers quote laws that have been repealed for years and the judge was so ignorant that he did not know it and the lawyers would make him give a decision according to the laws which no longer existed. Now I request our brethren to go and study law so that when they meet any of this kind of lawyers they will be able to thwart their vile plans. I do not, by any means, say these things of all lawyers, for we have good and just men who are lawyers, and we would like to have a great many more. You go to a petty fogging class of lawyers and get them to write a deed for you, and he will do it so that he can pick, so that it can be picked to pieces by other lawyers. And we're on page one thirteen employ such a man to write a deed, bond, mortgage, or any instrument of writing, and his study will will be to do it so that it will confound itself. This is the way that such men make business for their class. Journal of Discourses, volume 16, page 9. This reminds me of a law that uh, that I understand. So, I used to really be into... Uh, CB radios and ham radios and all that sort of stuff and I used to uh, read Citizen Band radio, radio magazines and uh, I came across a Supreme Court decision made back in the late 90s or early 2000s and the I can't remember what the case was that made it to the Supreme Court but in the Supreme Court brief for the decision for this this law that was uh, overturned by the high court in the United States of America the Supreme Court they said state and federal governments shall not make laws concerning the reception of frequency in the brief, it talked about um, frequency being a form of communication. And this this decision was made under two different uh, sections. One on the, the freedom of speech and communication, which frequency is a form of speech and communication. But also, uh, it had something to do with... Um, Excuse me, I'm still sick. But um, it had something to do with um, the right to to know things. I can't remember what it was called right now. But um, state and federal government shall not make laws concerning the reception of frequency. And in this brief, it listed radar detectors and police scanners and CB radios as part of the things that this decision um, involved. So that state and federal governments shall not make laws concerning the reception of frequency. And it included, especially radar detectors and police scanners, among other things. But you still have these laws, like in Virginia, you're not allowed to have a radar detector in your vehicle. There's big fines for it. If you're a commercial driver, like a truck driver, you are not allowed to have a radar detector in your truck. But the Supreme Court stated that these laws were illegal and they should be overturned, and that state and federal governments incorporating the whole like jurisdiction of the federal government, including the DOT, Department of Transportation, they shall not make laws concerning the reception of frequency. For a year and a half, I shared my truck. I was the nighttime driver, driving coal, and my, my co-driver was a retired sheriff in Emory County. And he was a decent enough person somebody who had been a cop but um he talked about like we had a couple conversations about this and i don't even know how that it got brought up but he's like oh yeah i've confiscated radar detectors before and like given tickets for them before and if they won't surrender their radar detector to me then i uh, i issue them a ticket and i'm like you know that the supreme court outlawed the that that law that you you're using to take these people's private property from them that state and federal government shall not make laws concerning the reception or frequency and it didn't matter to him <coughs> because even though the law had been overturned it was still on the books and the department of transportation and these local uh, local jurisdictions and state jurisdictions they still keep these laws on the books even though the Supreme Court said that it is, uh, it is that these laws cannot stand state and federal government shall not make laws concerning the reception of frequency you know they, they keep these laws on the books um, and it, the Supreme Court is supposed to be the one who decides the law of the land like, you have legislation, they make laws, but if there's an the illegal law that is unconstitutional, then they decide whether it's unconstitutional or not, and then they wipe those. They're supposed to be able to say, hey, uh, you guys, these laws are unconstitutional. They do not apply, and you shall not make laws like this. But see, the the government doesn't care. Like, it's supposed to be set up a certain way, but they just don't care. Anyway, continuing on, this is the second point. They misrepresent the facts and deceive the judge and jury. Quote, Quote, I will refer to what I witnessed no longer ago than yesterday in the courtroom. A lawyer rose to make a plea before the jury. He took up the laws of Utah which are strict and pointed in reference to lawyers making pleas, binding them to fairly array the facts in the case, whether they are for or against their clients. And he was so serious, so religious, so pious and so honest that he appealed to the high heavens to witness his honesty before the jury. When he had in induced the jury to believe that he was honest he stood there and misrepresented the merits of the case for half an hour at a stretch in regular lawyer style as i've already said a lawyer commenced to plea yesterday by appealing to the high heavens to witness his honesty before the jury and this he did to decoy their feelings to throw them off their guard and in all this was he true to his client in accordance with the approval mode of the Gentiles. He has been a Gentile lawyer for many years before entering into this church, and therefore I do not think he really merits such severe censure as he otherwise would for taking a Gentile shoot so faithfully as the strong power of tradition and hobby our habit still unfolds him. Instead of settling before the jury the true merits of the case and nothing else, he never touched upon them. He avoided them at every turn and threw dust in their eyes that they might give an unrighteous decision. Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, Page 237 and 238. And we're on page 114. Continuing with Brigham Young. It requires a lawyer, a man who is well-schooled in all that men know, to make things appear what they really are not. Journal of Discourses, volume 11, page 215. Continuing on. Then what good does it do to reiterate the testimony of witnesses before the jury it is an endeavor to make white black and black white to make the jury believe that they do not know anything but that i know it all and i tell you and i tell you law etc lawyers will quote law that has been obsolete for many years before a jury who may not be so well acquainted with the letter of the law and this will they do to endeavor, if possible, to blind the eyes and confuse the minds of the judge and the jury to make, make out something that is different from the facts in the case. Is this the business of du- or and duty of a lawyer? It is not. His duty is to place facts before the court. The jury can hear the witness as well as the lawyer can. And when the simple facts are told, then let them, then let just men decide. Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 259. (coughs) Okay, well, I, for, for one, firmly believe in jury nullification. You should look that up if you don't know what it is. But also, if you're ever called before a jury and you hear all of the decisions and all of the, the statements and everything that has been spoken and what the law is and everything else, and you come to a conclusion as to the guilt or the innocence of the individual who is being tried in the court before a jury of their peers, you take that decision that you have come to, to God in prayer, and you tell God what you are going to decide. Whether or not that person is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt or whether that person is innocent. And you tell God what you are going to decide as part of the jury. And if the spirit remains with you, then go with whatever it is you've decided. But if the spirit withdraws from you and you have an uneasiness, you have a depression or just a dark feeling come upon you and the spirit has left you, do not go along with your original decision no matter how many people want to try to tell you you were wrong no matter how many people want to attack you for standing on principle if you feel that there's something wrong there then you take it back to the Lord and you tell him what your new decision is going to be if it's opposite of the thing that you thought you were going to do to begin with and you see how the spirit rests upon you if the spirit comes back to you and then you hold true to what you've received by the holy witness of the holy ghost as to whether your decision is right and then you hold to it no matter what anybody else says because you have the ability to put an innocent person under jeopardy of the law when the Spirit is telling you one way or the other how you should decide. It's the same thing with everything. Like when you study the scriptures and you come to a certain idea of what you believe is right about the scriptures, you take that to the Father in the name of the Son and ask for a witness of the Holy Ghost that it is correct. James chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask God. This is how you ask God. Part of it is that you can't just, you have to study it out in your mind. You have to hear and read and study and come to a conclusion and then take that to the Father and ask if, if it's correct. So that you, when you do these things, you're being directed not just by the kernel thought and not trusting in the flesh of your own mind or in the flesh of others, but you are taking it to God. And then the decision that you make and you walk out after that courtroom is done, you have a clear conscience. You won't have to carry the burden of, was I wrong? Was I deceived? Was I deceived by, deceived by the lawyers or the judges? you know you can have a clear conscience and walk away from that situation knowing that that you have received a witness of the spirit as to the truth of what you what decision you made in being a juror in a trial and if if juries throughout the United States of America and throughout the world but throughout the United States of America, would use this in, uh, to to make sure that what they have decided is right. You wouldn't have innocent people going to prison. You would have more uh, just courtrooms in in you know the the land of the free and the home of the brave also mentioned here should be the corporate lawyer who is hired to protect a corporation regardless regardless of its innocent innocence or guilt. His primary objective is to have the company cleared of any c- crime regardless of the facts in the case. And that's one of the reasons why the Corporation of the First Presidency or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints hires Hires because they do pay them. Whether you realize this or not, the higher ups are paid in the church. The church historian is a lawyer. The current, the ever since Leonard Errington, he was the last historian that the church had, and, and he caused a whole bunch of problems for the church digging up history. Can't have that. So after Leonard Arrington, there. All of the church historians after that are all lawyers. They're hired by the church to protect the church. They're not true historians, which is sad because they're hiding behind things that they don't want you to know about. Anyway, number three, point three, bewilder people with Latin and complicated legal terms. The same is applicable in in a great measure to our lawyers, doctors, and priests. They make use of terms that nobody can understand but the initiated. If you study medicine, law, or botany, or many of the sciences, you must study Latin first because the doctors and professors make use of that language to convey their ideas in. The calculation is for all the for all except men of science and linguists to be befogged and bewildered. Yes, all except the initiate few who have been able to bestow the same amount of time as they have in learning some of the dead languages. And that's by John Taylor, Gospel Kingdom, page 270. Or on page 115 if you're reading along. Point four. They get paid for just giving advice. Once I had the pleasure of hearing a lawyer in old Massachusetts who attended strictly to his duty. He came into the western part of Massachusetts and bought him a farm. He was probably as sound a lawyer as Boston ever produced. They wanted to know why he went to farming instead of following the profession of law. He replied that according to the the present practice, a man could not answer the demands of his clients and be honest. When any of the people would come to him for advice, if if, if he was plowing a field, he would stop his team and request them to tell him the truth to state the case as it was, keeping nothing back on their side of the question. When he had heard their case, he would advise them to settle the affair without going into law, telling them what was right and just. When they would ask him what he charged for his advice, he he would receive nothing. His team had been resting while he had been conversing and he would go to plowing again. One lawyer has actually lived in the United States who did not depend upon the practice of law for a living, but followed a legitimate business and gave legal advice freely to all who asked of it. In pursuing this course, he did not follow the practice of picking the pockets of the widow and the fatherless. Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 258. So I'm glad that I have the ability to record these um, before the show because, uh, you know, I I try to record these all on the same day for the upcoming shows throughout the week. And then at the end of the program, um, I'll open up the lines to have live call-ins for any questions or comments. And by the way, that phone number, if you're listening to this, this was pre-recorded but it's a live show and the phone number is 917-889-8827 that's 917-889-8827 and the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash zions redemption radio network which is what this program is And if you're listening live, you can call in that number at any time. If I see that you have called in, I will uh, try to take you off the air at first. Um, Push one when you call in. Um, And then when the reading portion of the program is over with, uh, I will answer your question on the air. Um, Or you can call in when the lines are open uh, for live call-in. Um, but the reason why I like doing it like this and not doing a video, like I, I really like the way the uh, YouTube videos look and they sound, but I'm sick right now and I can read about a page before I cough and I cough a lot cause my, I have some sinus things going on and I've got a lot of congestion in my lungs. And I'm able to pause it when I cough. Sometimes I don't get to it right away. I try to, though. Uh, In fact, you're only hearing a little tiny bit when I do cough. That's just a little bit of what I'm coughing right now. But with a live program, I can't, you know, I'll cough more. And trying to read a lot when you're, especially out loud when you're sick, it's kind of difficult. So I like this uh, format where I'm able to record these pre-record these, and then have the live program also where I can take phone calls later on. And I wish that there was more conversation. Like, if you think I'm wrong, something, let me know. If you think I'm right, let me know. You know, I, I'm i learning, you're learning, we're all learning together, you know? Um, so I don't mind being called out and questioned, and I don't mind the comments. I don't mind, as long as they're not rude. I don't mind the comments. In fact, I like the dialogue. That's why I have a live radio program. That's why I'm trying to you know, I put these out there. A lot of people listen to the podcasts, but I really wish that there would be more people who would listen live and participate with me. That's why before I went on my big break, so my last program before my big, before last week basically, was uh the first part of July and then we had tons of construction going on and a whole bunch of other things and I just couldn't. I just didn't have the time. I was worn out. I was trying to do all these things and I was very upset about the harassment at work and changing jobs and getting paid way less and just a lot of things were going on with that and a whole bunch of other stuff and and I took a break. But before I took a break, I tried to do these programs at 6 p.m. from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. Now, I'm not doing that anymore. I can't. I'm doing Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I've got, I'm have got. i actually going to a therapist on Tuesdays because I'm dealing with some stuff from my childhood right now that um, is really screwing me up just with family members and stuff, um, with the death of my grandpa, uh who I haven't seen since I was, like, 10. And then just not having any contact with my my father, who walked out of my life when I was three, and I tried to have a relationship with him as an adult, and that didn't work out. And then uh, not having my mom in my life anymore and barely having my siblings. I haven't even seen them in almost two years uh, since the death of my baby. But um, there's a lot of stuff I'm dealing with right now. So I'm going to a therapist because I need to be able to talk to some people. And he's helping me a lot. He's actually a professor at the university here in Price. (coughs) Excuse me. And he only does this part-time, but I was able to get in to, to see him. And that's on Tuesdays, so I can't do it on Tuesdays. And then on Thursdays, I'm just like, I'm taking a break. So... Uh, so I'm doing it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from here on out. And I'm going to try to keep these all at six, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Now I have to work at 8 p.m., and I did that on purpose. But sometimes things change, like my truck, for instance, broke down and it's in the shop. And I have to share another truck with a woman who drives from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then I, I can get in the truck at 7 p.m., but um, I try to get in at around 8, so that works out with the program. And I do that to keep the set schedule so that, so that people will listen and they'll know, hey, Zion's Redemption Radio Network's going to be on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. So, um... So I try to do that. I try to keep that in mind so that I can keep on a, a, a regular schedule, just so that people will know, like, hey, this is going this live radio program is going to come up. And if you have any questions about Mormonism or religion, um, I'm, I'm well studied in all of the major religions and many of the minor religions. Um, I've read the Bible. Wow. I don't know how many times I've read it, but I've listened to it a lot. So when I was an over the road truck driver I had all of the uh, all of the standard works on tape and every time I would go through one I would go through it a couple of times and then I would put a tick mark with a with a permit marker on the tape and I'd put it back in the box and I would start a new one. And I had probably about twenty to twenty five ticks on every single tape as I would drive along and just listen to scriptures and think about things and, and listen to to one tape over and over and over again and then I would put it back in the box with one tick and I'd start with the next one and literally had between 20 to 25 tick marks on every single one of those standard works. So I've gone through the Bible, I've read it uh, at least once all the way through but listening to it at least 25 times, and then that doesn't even include the studies that I've done um, with the commentaries and stuff, just trying to study and understand scripture. And I even got to the point where I wrote down the first couple books of the Book of Mormon, and I found that with every verse that I would take the time to write down, there would be so many things that I would gain from that experience where I actually because it takes time to write it down and you're thinking about it as you're writing it and there would be questions that I would have within each verse and it just amazed me at how much God would give me as I took the time to really ponder over and study the scriptures so I'm not the most brilliant person in the world um, but God has given me a lot of revelation and a lot of insight and, and also through my uh, course of study, um, I am always was able to understand things maybe a little bit better than, than I would have if I hadn't. Also, I've studied, um, ancient languages like Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, um, and I'm not very good at those languages, but I uh, picked up a lot of meanings towards that other people might not understand. So, um, but, you know, I'm not the most intelligent person out there, and uh, I want to hear what other people have to say about uh, about theology, so I do really would like it if people would call in and just have a conversation, you know? Um, But if you do call in, let me know what your first name is, but don't give me your last name. And tell me what city and state you're from. Or if you're from another country, tell me what city, what large city you're near and what country you live in. Uh, That's really fun when people from Bangladesh or uh, Singapore or the Philippines or Europe, or Russia. Uh, like, we have people all over the world. Like, I get a list of, of uh, not specifics, but I get a list. And I have a map of the world in my, um, on the Blog Talk Radio account where people are listening from. And this program is literally downloaded by people all around the world. Wherever they have internet, people can listen to this program. So, which is part of the prophecy of the Davidic servant sprinkling the words, his words, throughout the nations. talks about that, I think, in Isaiah chapter 49. But it's kind of cool to be part of this whole process, so I'm, I'm grateful for it. But I, I am also thankful for being able to pause this recording every time I have to cough, because right now... I'm going to pause it in just a minute because I need to take a drink and cough for a minute just because of the sickness that I have right now. One of the other things I like about doing this is you can kind of tell sometimes when I do pause it and start back up because the microphone might not be as close to my mouth and there'll be a little bit of a difference in, in the recording. Um... But there's a lot of times when I'm listening to this, and you can't even tell I paused it. Even with the music going on in the background, it's it's pretty, I think it's pretty good, but it is what it is. So anyway, uh, topic five, they promote unnecessary lawsuits. I have a few things to lay before the conference, one of which is, And I think my brethren will agree with me that this is a wise and practicable, for from one to five thousand of our young and middle-aged men to turn their attention to the study of law, I would not speak lightly, in the least, of law. We are sustained by it. But what is called the practice of law is not always the administration of justice, and would not be so considered in many courts. How many lawyers are there who spend their time from morning till night in thinking and planning how they will get up a lawsuit against this or that man, or get, get his property into their possession? Or on page 116 for those of you who are following along. Men of this class are land sharks, and they are no better than highway robbers, For their practices to deceive and take advantage of all they can. I do not say that this is the law, but this is the practice of some of its professors. The efforts of such lawyers, if they are paid well, is to clear clear and turn loose on society the thief, the perjurer, and the murderer. And they're doing that more often these days than all of these uh, leftists. Uh, democratic cities throughout the United States of America, especially these ones who have DAs who are funded and gotten into office by men like George Soros. They let the criminal go and then they go out. And this happens in Europe too. They let the criminals go and they'll go after somebody for uh, offending somebody on, on social media. It's, it's just ridiculous. And like when Jesus talked about the times when uh, good will be bad and bad will be good, we're living in those days. We are living in those days that he spoke about. We are truly in the last days. And if we weren't in the last days, I wouldn't be here. These are the last days of the celestial age in the history of this earth. We're living in times that the prophets saw and those of us who are righteous will live in times of righteousness. We have to get through this dark period in human history to get to that, that time of peace when the Messiah will return and come back onto the earth. And I'm talking about Yeshua, Jesus. Anyway, continuing on with this quote, they... Say to the dishonest and those who are disposed to do evil, Go and lay claim to your neighbor's property, or to that which is not your own, or commit some other act of injustice, and pay us, and we will clear you and make your claim appear just in the eyes of the law. And officers and judges are too often joined in the unrighteous crusade for the lawyers to do too wrong the just of Discourses, Volume 16, Page 9. Topic 6. They destroy the peace of a community. Quote, It makes me think of what Bacill said to Payne in Kirtland. In a lawsuit that had been gotten up, Bacill was pleading for Joseph, and Payne was pleading for an apostate. Payne had blackguarded in good in a good deal, in a good deal in his plea Basile stomped at, all at once and turned to Mr. Payne and said Mr. Payne do you believe in the devil yes said Mr. Payne who is key, a keen and smart lawyer said Basile where do you think he is I do not know do you not think he is in hell said Basile I suppose he is well said Basile do you think he is in in pain? They almost they almost act to meet me as if they were in pain. They must excuse me if they, they must excuse me if there are any of them here today. I cannot see the least use on the face of the earth for these wicked lawyers who stir up strife. If they would turn merchants, cattle breeders, farmers, and mechanics, or would build factories, they would be useful. But to stir up strife and quarrels to alienate the feelings of neighbors and destroy the peace of communities, seems to be their only business. For a man to understand, the law is very excellent. But who is there that understands it? They that do are peacemakers. They are legitimate lawyers. There are many lawyers who are very excellent men. What is the advice of an honorable gentleman in the profession of law? Do not go to law with your neighbor. Do not be coaxed into a lawsuit for you will not be benefited by it. Or on page 117 if you're reading along with me. If you do go to law, you will hate your neighbor and you will finally have to pick some of your neighbor's who hoe potatoes and corns, who work in the cabinet shop at the carpenter's bench or at the blacksmith's forge to settle it for you. You will have to pick 10, 12, 18, or 24 of them, as the case may be, to act as a jury, and your case goes before them to decide. They are not lawyers, but they understand truth and justice, and they have got to judge the case at last, why not do this at first and say we will arbitrate this case and we'll have no lawsuit, no difficulty with our neighbor to alienate our feelings one with another? This is the way we should do as, as a community. As Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 224 and 225. It should be considered beneath the profession of a lawyer to endeavor to clear the guilty and place the innocent in bonds or bring them into disrepute. I wish to say to that class of gentlemen who are here that if they expect to break up this people by lawsuit, I think they will have a hard time. I will use my influence in every good man, whether he is in the church or out of it, never to to think of going to law. What comes of litigation, poverty, and degradation to any community that will encourage it? Will it build cities, open farms, build railroads, erect telegraph lines, or improve a country? It will not. But it will bring any community to ruin. It draws hundreds of men within the circle of its influence who crowd the courtrooms and spend days and weeks and months of their precious time to not get that which should be employed in getting lumber from the canyons to building houses and in providing comfortable means of sustenance to their families. Does it make peaceable, honest, and industrious citizens? It does not. But endeavor strife inhabits the impertinence and the idleness. Instead of crime being lessened by its influence, it only helps to swell the dark stream. Journal of Discourse is volume 11, page 259 and 260, and we're on page 118 for those of you who are reading along. Continuing on, for the Myung. What is the true relationship of lawyers to the law and to the community? They should be true representatives of peace, and it should be their business to promote it. Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 257, Topic 7. They have misplaced values and goals. We want to make these valleys of the mountains team with the products of our own labor and skill and intelligence. They don't like even to be farmers, and we're talking about the boys I guess he's talking about lawyers. They don't even like to be farmers. They would rather be lawyers or doctors than, the far- than to be farmers. This is the case with too many of our boys, and it is a great mistake. I hope the time will come when the children of the Latter-day saints will learn that all labor is that is necessary for the happiness of themselves and for their neighbors. Or of mankind in general is honorable And that no man is degrading himself Because he can lay a brick Or carry on carpentry or blacksmithing Or any kind of mechanicism (laughs) I can't say that word Mechanism (laughs) Being a mechanic I guess No matter what it is But all of these things are honorable And are necessary for the welfare of man For the building up of the commonwealth Joseph F. Smith Conference Report. Okay, so that wasn't Brigham Young, I thought it was. That's Joseph F. Smith Conference Report, October nineteen oh nine, page eight. <coughs> One thing I've noticed living down here in Castle Country, which is Carbon and Emory Counties, we need more tradesmen. They get paid well. They do a good job, hopefully. But we need more tradesmen. That We don't have enough out here. there. Is, like when you need a plumber, you're going to be waiting for weeks. If you need an electrician, it might be months before one uh, is available to come out and to help do whatever the work is that needs to be done. We need people with trades more than we need these uh, educated people from these colleges. and not only that i was in college for two semesters okay i know it's not a lot um, i started at dixie state which is in saint george and i can't remember it's they have some other it's a university of something else now because dixie was racist or something but like when i was there and then it uh, felt like community college as well um i noticed that And I was in my 20s when I went. I think I was like 28, 29 when I was in college. And I just couldn't hardly stand all of the liberal brainwashing that was going on in those colleges. They would take topics like anything that had to do with traditional family values, they would have a lot of negative connotations around those uh, those ideas of traditional family values and anything that was like... um, against traditional values had all of these positive connotations. And I brought it up to the English professor one day and she says, well, you have good critical thinking skills. And I'm like, yeah, but like, these are the books you're using for these 18 and 19 year old kids that don't know anything. And you're brainwashing them with these ideas through the textbook. You know, and like she... She agreed with me to a point, but like there was nothing she could do about it because these are the textbooks that have to be used because they're the approved ones, right? Well, I know um, I don't want to go off on a tangent too far, but there is a principle of Baal, oh, how is it, Balaam and Balak, not Baal, Baal is something else, Balaam and Balak. Balaam was a prophet, and Balak was a king of a pagan nation. And Balaam was was employed by Balak to try to curse Israel. And every time Balaam tried to curse Israel, because that's what Balak, whatever he was trying to get him to do, he couldn't do it. And he finally told the king, look, if you want me to curse them, they have to be wicked because as long as they're righteous, God will not let me curse them. But if they become wicked, then they'll be cursed. And the enemies of freedom know this game. And if they can get us wicked and to uh, accept uh, these wicked ideas of Marxism and communism, they can, they can make this nation wicked. And the Soviets would never be able to destroy this nation because of its right- righteousness. And, they knew it. and in 1957, there was um, the leader of the Soviet Union. His name was Khrushchev, and he spoke at a general Assembly at the United Nations in New York City, and he basically said, and I've seen the videos, and I don't speak Russian, but I've heard the translations of the talk and he said that we would fall like ripe fruit into into their hands and when I heard that as a child I was like I was pretty young when I heard these things because well my grandfather was very end of the world kind of stuff going on you know and he, he was always ready for the end of the world so he was, um, he was affiliated with people from the Michigan militia. And we would watch the videos and stuff and whatever. That was a long time ago. He never joined them, but we had friends who were part of them. So I got to learn about things that 12-year-old kids shouldn't learn about. Maybe, maybe they should. I don't know. But that's my story, partly. Anyway, so... Um, but God put it into my mind he, he revealed to me that that how they were going to do this and this is coming from a kid in the night art 1980s that they were that they what they did was that they put professors into the education system and they they would get tenure and they would influence people in the universities to begin to take on these these wicked things that happened in the 60s and the 70s and it continued and continued until the point where we have an education system today where we send our kids to these Babylonian schools to get brainwashed in these wicked ideologies and these false traditions. And now, since they've done this since the 50s and 60s and into the 70s and 80s, The people who are coming out of these universities are brainwashed in these non-traditional things that want to destroy god and the people of god and the saints and all christianity and pervert it and and to do away with it and to adopt all of these wicked ideas that they adopt and this is how this is how the righteous are destroyed by corruption from within It's the principle of Balaam and Balak. Balak wanted to curse Israel, but the prophet Balaam told him he couldn't do it unless the people became wicked. So Balaam would send in uh, whores into Israel and do all kinds of things to get the people to accept wickedness so that they would be destroyed. It's the same principle. These principles are not new. Satan knows exactly what he's doing, and he's doing it to our society, and it is beyond redemption. Babylon will fall, and this is Babylon, the place that we're living in right now here in North America. And it's cabal, influ- the influence of its reach is throughout the whole world. And it's sad, and we just go along with it. We're we're such a wicked society and we don't even know how wicked we are as a people. And I'm talking to the most great, wonderful saints out there. We are a wicked society and God is going to destroy it. And for those few who are righteous, who are heeding the warnings, they might be saved. But the majority of the people out there are going to be destroyed and it is the way it is the plan of bailing and it. topic eight they have an obsessive desire for wealth lawyers have a reputation for charging excessive fees for their services and their eagerness to gain wealth they will often unnecessarily extend the case for weeks or months When it could have been settled in a matter of hours or days. But the longer it takes to do the job, the more money they make, a law firm sometimes getting over $1 million in one case. This section includes several quotations from various church leaders to illustrate this. So Brigham Young states Lawyers will plead. Law for the Latter-day Saints as well as for anybody else in the world if they can get their pay for it. I have seen too much of this for 34 years past. In the days of Joseph Smith, lawyers would get together and hatch out one vexatious lawsuit. One would agree to defend him, and the other would agree to plead against him, and this with a view to get his money. Thousands and tens of thousands of dollars have been collected to pay lawyers' fees. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, volume 11, page 260, and we're on page 119 if you're following along. Let's see here. The next one is Brigham Young as well. The esteem in which I hold law prompts me to keep out of it. You recollect the story of the lawyer and the two farmers. The farmers had quarreled about a cow, and they went to law. And the result was the farmer held the cow, and the lawyer milked her. I have never seen law going on much without the lawyer getting milk and the cream, while those who go out to law hold the cow for him to milk. I know you think my my esteem is not very high for lawyers. Brigham Young Journal of Discourses, Volume 14 page eighty five the next one is in correlated history of the church Joseph Smith represented represents that before leaving Missouri he pa- paid the lawyers at richmond thirty four thousand dollars in cash and land. one track for which he was allowed on account seven thousand lawyers were soon offered ten thousand four, but they refused to accept it and vexus lost. Vexious loss or vexious suits, and other than those at Richmond Ray County, he paid his lawyers sixteen thousand, making in all fifty thousand dollars for which he remarks, "I received very little in return." Correlated History of the Church, Volume One, Page Five Hundred and Thirty-Three. Like fifty thousand dollars back in that day and age. That was worth millions of dollars in in what we're dealing with today and the value of our money today over what it was worth back then. That's ridiculous. All right, so the next one is George Albert Smith. Cypress Walker charged $10,000 for defending Joseph in his political arrest or the attempt at kidnapping him at Dixon, Illinois in 1843. There were four other lawyers employed for the defense besides Walker. The expense of the defense in, the, in this trial were enormous, involving the amounts incurred by the horse companies who went in pursuit to aid Joseph and the trip of the steamer, the maiden of Iowa, from Nauvoo to Ottawa and ma- and may be fairly esteemed at $100,000. George Albert Smith's Journal of Discourse volume 13, page 110. In the doctrinal history of the church, it says, I want to say to all who profess to be saints, do not harbor blacklegs, counterfeiters, or bogus makers. Bogus makers just means people who print uh, bogus money. They're they're counterfeiters, but they do it by making bogus money. They call it bogus. Which actually, (laughs) the leaders in Nauvoo were doing this. That was part of the wickedness of the saints in Nauvoo. It's part of the reason that the church was rejected. But they were doing this, and they thought nothing of it. They were making making bogus or fraudulent money on printing presses. In Nauvoo, and Joseph Smith, did, oh, he, I, I've read some things where he's trying to tell them to stop doing this, but there's a lot of evidence that the leaders in Nauvoo were doing these type of things. And they were just being wicked as, as all hell. And I don't know what happened once they got out to the Uni- uh, out of the United States and they came out to the, uh, Deseret or the Great Basin. And they're talking against it now, but they were really into it then. But anyway, we're on page 120 if you're reading along. Wipe them away. It is time to carry out the design of our prophet to cease to employ doctors, lawyers, and merchants who will empty your purses and then mob you. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 7, page 259. The next quote is from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. I'm sorry, Teachings of the Prophet Brigham Young. You cannot find a lawyer in the church or out of it. It is the same. You cannot find a lawyer in the church or out of it. It is the same. What does he do? He does nothing but what he stands all the time anxiously waiting, ready to thrust in his finger into your pockets and pull out a fat living to himself. And I will not accept even the state's attorney who is sitting by me here. They are all. They are all the time watching the poor immigrant with itching fingers to pick his pocket. They are one of the meanest sets of men that ever disgraced God's footstool, footstool. For if you give them half, if you give them one half for collecting it, they will certainly steal the other half. This is their living to cheat the innocent and get everything from them that have got the. Cheat the innocent and get everything from them they have got in the world. If, you talk, if they talk for five minutes for you, the next is hand over your money here. I want all you've got. Teachings of the Prophet Brigham Young, Volume 3, page 111. Brigham Young in the Journal of Discourses also says, Now I want to ask every man and woman who wishes an honorable name in the church and kingdom of God upon the earth, if they have entertained any ideas of going to law, to banish it from their minds at once. The less we have to do with this class of professional men, the easier and cheaper will be our difficulties in settling and being settled. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, volume 11, page 259. Okay, and the next one's pretty long, but it's Brigham Young from the Journal of Discourses again. I am now taking the liberty of discharging a duty I owe to the lawyers and telling them what they're doing here. They read the law. They do or should understand the law of the United States, of states and of territories and cities in which they live, and whenever they have an opportunity of telling the people how to live in a way to avoid litigation, it is their duty to do, to so do it. (coughs) Then if they wish to get a living instead of picking people's pockets, as is too commonly the case, let them have their stores and bring on goods and trade by farms and follow the healthy and honorable profession of farming, and raise their own provisions, we on page 121, and stock enough for themselves and, and some to part with, and when their services are wanted in the law, give it as freely as we do the gospel. It is said by lawyers, we cannot spend our time without some remun- remuneration. You have no need to spend your time only in some way to produce means for your substance. You you can give legal advice freely and pursue an honorable and productive business for a living. Brigham Young Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 257 and 258. This next quote is actually by Hugh Nibley, who was a, a professor of law at BYU. Oh, no, I don't think he was a professor of law, but he was a professor at BYU. Anyway. Pretty, pretty good guy. I like him. Anyway, this is him. When uranium, oil, coal were discovered on these reservations originally given to the Indian as their last holding, since the land was considered absolutely worthless, the heat was on. In 1985, lawyers of the coal company severely rebuked the Navajos for wishing to raise up the royalties they were getting for their coal to more than 15 cents a ton. in Righteous wrath! The lawyers lectured the natives on the sacredness of the contract and the need to keep one's word under all circumstances, and not be carried away by barbaric greed. For that, and that, for not being satisfied with 15 cents a ton for coal by plundering from their land, amid scenes of appalling ruin and destruction, <coughs> merciless strip mining with machines. 10 stories high the New York Times went out of its way to point out that the lawyers in question were Mormons and uh, that can be found in Approaching Zion, The Collected Works, Volume 9 by Hugh Nibley, pages 454 and 455 so um, as a truck driver, I used to go down to the power plant in Page, Arizona. Um, the Navajos would bring the coal in from their mines down to Page, Arizona, and they would make power uh, for... I don't know who they were making it for. I think it was Phoenix. Phoenix and Las Vegas. But um, they have completely torn those facilities down, and all that coal that's from the reservation... They they can't sell it. They're like basically being blackballed, and hundred million dollar power plants have been completely taken down and destroyed, and so you're not getting the power from those, uh, those that those that power company. The the Navajo Nation is not making the money that they would have made otherwise, which they were making money on people getting royalties for it. The Navajo Nation was. Uh, which went to affect many, many, many Native Americans. And, and now it affects them because that money is gone now, even though the coal is still there. And all of that fly ash, which makes, makes con- concrete way more hard than it normally is, you, you put the fly, so what fly ash is, is after they burn the coal, there's the smoke, right? And it goes up these huge, huge smoke steps. And inside of the smokestacks, there, there's spray and the droplets, when they fall down, they collect the particulates of the coal so that it's clean burning, which means that you're not getting all the, the particulates and the pollution out of the top of the coal stack. That's steam that's coming out of the top. And the particulates, they fall down into this massive area. And they, get, they build up, and then they go in, and they they, uh, they ship it out in these trucks, and then they mix it with cement. And it makes the cement like, I can't remember what it is, 60 times harder than it normally would have been, which goes into our roadways and into our bridges into the construction. But if you don't have the coal burning, then the cement isn't as strong, and it doesn't last as long. And I used to go get that flash. That's what the the particulates when it comes down. It's all by a byproduct of burning coal. But all of that's gone now, and there's nothing. There's no income for these people. You know, they've got all the 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 stuff, but they've been blackballed by the EPA and other other organizations to bypass these these people, and now this. This huge modern power plant is gone now. It's completely gone. And it's just sad. Anyway, continuing on. This week, it was announced that judges must have higher pay if lawyers are to respect them. The corollary being that no one respects anyone who has less money than he has. Not that he need it. These old, duff, duffers. Who are tapering off, spending all their days in closets? So why do they need more than 125,000 a year? Oh, to make them more respectable by the lawyers, who can't respect a man who isn't making less than you, can you? That is the sentiment expressed by the late great lawman John Mitchell in one page 122. The Latter Day Saints Reverend Howard Hughes. And represent any criticism of sick, sickliness and unbalanced billionaire. His money sanctified him. Anyway, that's from, uh, Hugh Nibley's book. Uh, page 700, no, I'm sorry, page 478. Alright, so and here's some more. And I think this is commentary from Ogden Kraut now. Well, maybe, let's see here. It might be from Hugh Nibley. Let me just get through it, because I think we're getting a little bit too long in this program. Reporters who are investigating the O.J. Simpson trial in California have projected that the cost for his defense attorneys will take all of his millions of dollars. They suspect there will be nothing left for his children when the lawyers are finished with the case. If lawyers use the law for the purpose of acquiring wealth, then they they make merchandise of sacred things of a sacred thing. The object of the law is to help educate and protect the people to avoiding lawsuits and court cases if at all possible. A lawyer should seek to be a peacemaker rather than one of the richest men in town. Many other references could be included here in support of these eight eight statements, but hopefully these will suffice improving the point that lawyers in most cases have definite weaknesses and corrupt practices. We and we today need to be aware of them and try to avoid being ensnared by them. The state of Utah has more lawyers per capita than any other state. Salt Lake City has more lawyers per capita than New York City, Chicago, or Los Angeles. Utah state government employs more than more lawyers than any other state. Utah, over 114 at that time. Utah is one of the very few states that has two law colleges. The Mormon Church has provided their support for the study and practice of law when they build one of the nicest building and largest buildings on BYU campus for their law school. Even the leadership of the LDS Church has had more in its share of lawyers, and that's there's a huge number of them. But here's a couple of them. We're on page 123. Stephen L. Richards, Charles A. Callis, Reuben Clark, Albert E. Bowman, Henry D. Moyle, Hugh B. Brown, Howard W. Hunter, Bruce R. McConkie, James E. Faust. Dallin H. Oaks, and remember this is a book that was written quite a while ago, so there's more among them that are lawyers now. The number of lawyers in state presidencies, bishoprics, and high councils are far too numerous to mention. According to the words of the prophets, the worthiness of society can be determined by how few lawyers it has. If that is true, then Utah is in a terrible condition. In the 1994 yellow pages of the phone book, it lists 5,631 lawyers for just the Salt Lake City area. This, of course, is not all of the associate attorneys who are working for or with another lawyer, nor does it include the staff members, researchers, secretaries, investigators, paralegals, etc., who are also... also are in that business. The experienced attorney for 30 years, Blaine Simmons, wrote in his book, Attorneys have always considered the ratio of one lawyer for every thousand people as being ideal. And that's from his book, "Games Lawyers Play With Your Money, by Blaine Simmons, page two. Using this criteria, then, Salt Lake City should be a community of nearly six million people. Mr. Simmons dedicated his book to the endangered species of the the honest lawyer. And let me just tell you, there are not 6 million people in Utah, let alone Salt Lake City, Utah. Another important point for all the lawyers and prospective lawyers to consider is the final and eternal result of their craft. Defending a man who is guilty, knowing he is guilty, yet pleading that he is innocent, and intentionally misleading the judge and jury will eventually bring judgment on his own head. On page one twenty four, how many lawyers have, been, have helped guilty men to go free because of the deceptive manner in which they have practiced their craft? The prophet Joseph Smith warned, "Our acts are recorded, and at a future day they will be laid before us. And if we should..." fail to judge right and injure our fellow being, they may there perhaps condemn us, and there are a, they are of great co- consequence, and to me the consequence appears to be a force beyond anything I am able to express. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 25. And from George Albert Smith, quote, now from the early history of this church, almost every man, elder, or member of that, un- that has undertaken to study the pra- or practice law was in a very short time on the high road to apostasy and destruction, and every member of this church who has undertak- undertaken to practice law as a profession has gone neck and heels to the devil. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 160. And uh, the the last thing that we're going to say on this is certainly one should weigh heavenly and eternal consequences as, a, as compared with temple games. So when we come back on on Friday, we're going to be on uh, page 125, and we're going to talk about God's law. The phone lines are now open. Uh, the guest call-in number for questions or comments is 917-889-8827. That's 917 917- and if you have a question uh, and you would like to use the chat room the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon I'm sorry, that's the old one it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Zion's Redemption Radio Network So uh, once again, the phone line is now open, and that is 917-889-8827. And if you do call in, please press 1, and I'll see that your hand has been raised. And uh, when I do bring you on, uh, tell me what your first name is and where you're calling from, and then you can ask your question or make your comment. Thank you for listening. Okay, so now we're live, and uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, just as uh, I said on the recording. Let's see here. I don't really have anything. um, uh, I'm going to continue making the recordings, because people listen to them in the podcast format but people don't care about the live show i can't get people to come on i invited a ton of people the other day posted in a whole bunch of different groups and uh they're just not interested in what i have to say and uh i'm doing this because uh heavenly father's asked me to do it but um I guess I'm not doing it for you, uh, the listener, Um, because people don't care. So uh, I told my boss today that I'm done hauling coal and I'm looking for a new job. And uh, I kind of feel bad about it, but. It is what it is. So, um, so like, I'll still record the programs when I can, but uh, I'm not going to be doing a normal schedule anymore. So I can make uh, a whole lot of money, and I'm having issues with finances right now, and I can make over two times what I do if I actually go just do something else and stop being home all the time. So I'm a truck driver. It's what I've been doing for 27 years. And I uh, got my CDL in 95. Of course, I did go on a mission, so I can't say 27 years, but it's close enough. Whatever. All right. Let's see here. Let's say that the Lord, from this report, you shall receive commandments and instructions from none other than he whom I have appointed under this power, even my servant who is my second witness, in whom I am well pleased. For I say unto you, the words are mighty to the salvation of them that believe. For I shall prove unto them in this day, saith the Lord, that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I bestow upon whom I will authority and to act. For can the church be built up unto me except by my power, saith the Lord, For I will make him mighty in word and deed to the confounding of false doctrines and the precepts of men. From this forward, all authorities and ordinations, other than by my servant, are hereby null and void. That from henceforth, all ordinations, instructions, and commandments must be from under his hand and by his saith the Lord. That ye may know the gateway that ye must enter to receive eternal life, saith the Lord. For all others are of the devil or of man. For I say unto you that all who reject these things will be unable to receive the salvation spoken of and shall thereby be cut off, saith the Lord. It's like, it's the same thing as uh, Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23, where it says, All they who will not hear the words of that prophet shall be cut off from among the people. You know, it's just going right along with that. And Moroni, in Joseph Smith History verse 45, he quotes Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23, and he says that that man was Christ, or is Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. And everybody's like, oh, that means Jesus. Well, no, because he hadn't yet been rejected by his people. See, Jesus already had been rejected by his people. But Mashiach ben Yosef or Messiah ben Joseph, the second witness of the Father, had not yet been rejected by his people, but that day soon would come. So the man of Acts chapter two verse or chapter three verses twenty two and twenty three is Christ but the day, who is called a man like to Moses, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. In that same scripture in verse 45 of Joseph Smith history, it talks about Isaiah chapter 11. You know, the one about the stem, the root, the rod, and the branch. That's four Davidic servants, not just one. Four. The Jews call them the Four Craftsmen, future prophets. In Doctrine and Covenants section one thirteen, Joseph Smith asks Jesus Christ who the stem is, and Jesus doesn't say I'm the stem. He doesn't say Jesus Christ is the stem. He doesn't say any of that. He simply says the stem is Christ. Well, so the Gentiles think anything that has to do with Christ, and specifically. Jesus Christ, but that's not what he says. And if you understand Hebrew Mashiach or uh, Messiah or uh, in Greek Messiah is Christ, it means an anointed one. Everything that was anointed in the tabernacle was called a Christ, including each and every single one of the high priests, including all of the kings of Israel. They were all called Mashiachs. David was a Mashiach. But Zechariah 4.14 talks about two anointed ones, two Mashiachs in Hebrew, or Messiahs in Aramaic, or Christ in Greek. They all mean the same thing. It says two anointed ones stand before the Lord of the whole earth. Well, who is the Lord of the whole earth? That is our Father. And who are these two anointed ones that Zechariah sees in Zechariah 4, chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 14? They're his witnesses. They are anointed by the Most High, the Father, they're apostles of the fa- Father. They're known as Mashiach ben Judah or Messiah ben Judah and Mashiach ben Joseph Messiah ben Joseph. There's two witnesses. There's a King Messiah and there's a General Messiah, like a general over army, the armies of heaven. And also, it's by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word is established. Jesus Christ, whose Hebrew name was Yeshua, was an apostle of the Father. He was an eyewitness of the Father. He always turned people to the Father. And Mashiach Ben Yosef is also an eyewitness of the Father. So I don't know if you can detect a difference in my voice. This week, I finally went to the doctor yesterday, in fact, And I found out that my cold has turned to uh, a bronchitis, I guess. Hold on. Emmett, go see why Tucker is, like, looking up. no. He was staring at somebody in the driveway. Well, that's where he was looking. Anyway, so I have bronchitis. Um, I haven't worked for almost a week. Uh, I did work one day on Sunday for 14 hours, 588 miles. Uh, but I think that that made my cold worse because the next day I almost blacked out when I was coughing. And that's why I went to the hospital because, um, like, I I seriously might I almost completely blacked out because I was coughing so hard. I'm on a bunch of medicine, but they were taking uh, x-rays of my lungs and uh, they noticed that my spine is curved and they told me I have scoliosis, which is why my back has been hurting so much. So uh, that's unfortunate also my 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 neck is uh, it's not right (laughs) it's supposed to bend one way and it bends the exact opposite way so he says it's probably why I've been getting so much pain in my hands so who knows how much longer I'm going to be able to work but whatever I'll get through it. Anyway, getting back to this uh, this new revelation here. Well, it's new to you. It's not new to me. For I say unto you that all who reject these things will be unable to receive that salvation spoken of, and shall thereby be cut off, saith the Lord. For my word is quick and powerful as a two-edged sword to the cutting asunder of both joint and marrow, and also is mighty to save them that believe. I speak these words that ye may know of me and my works. For I am Jesus Christ, and I have bestowed upon him the apostleship and confer upon him all the keys, both in heaven and on earth, that whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever he shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. For I am his God and will do according to his words. See, when the Father and the Son... Uh, when I saw them in 2003, the father laid his hands upon my head and he gave me all the authority. Like, when I tell you I've seen him face to face, like, it's not a joke. I'm not lying. It's not It's not me trying to get one over on you or whatever. Like, pretty much, I'm here to be old. And... Uh, And make it so that you can be ripe right for destruction, the majority of you, because I'm leaving you without witness. Because I'm not, it's, I'm not like uh, one of these uh, latter-day corporate prophets where they insinuate and they go all around and they, they say things that kind of sound like they've really seen Jesus, even though you know Denny chokes and uh, I think it was Washington. Uh, he says, oh, well, I've never seen the Savior, and nobody I know has ever seen the Savior. But things, some things are more powerful than than seeing the Savior. You know, whatever, whatever, Alan. I hope you live to be the next president. But <laughs> these guys haven't seen the Savior The last person who has claimed to see the Savior was David B. Haight. I actually believe he did, but it wasn't a vision. He was allowed to see the Garden of Gethsemane. The one before that was David O. McKay, and he claimed to have seen the Savior. But the only problem with David O. McKay is he said that the Savior's eyes were brown. I guess he wasn't aware that Joseph Smith said that they were blue. I've seen the Savior. They are blue. But there's some uniqueness to them that I won't get it. I don't I don't tell people what – there's some things. I won't tell people about the uniqueness of his eyes. Because when people know that, um, if, if if they tell me, yeah, his eyes are blue, what about what else about his eyes did you notice? Tell me more specifically. And if they can tell me specifically what I'm looking for, then I know. Right? It's just an easy way. To stop the confirmation of the spirit and everything, but. But it's funny because uh, my friend Kevin Kraut, our Kraut's son, has seen the Savior. He was talking about it. My wife was there. We were all talking about specific things. And my my wife is an artist. She's a kindergarten teacher. She is a lot of things. She's a wonderful person. But she started talking about the details of the Savior's eyes. And you should have seen Kevin eyes just lie up because he didn't give it away, but my wife already knew. Sam is already know. Anyway, but... Um, continuing on. Therefore... Heed that ye transgress not; that His judgment is right, saith the Lord. And if you do according to My words, you shall, ha- you shall be saved and, and inherit eternal life. And if ye believe in a manner that ye shall overcome, if you believe in a manner that ye shall, shall overcome the world, for all things, powers, all things, power are given unto Him. That if in that day He should call fire down out of heaven, it should be done. It shall be done. And if he should smite the earth with famine, that it should be done according to his words. It's kind of funny because um, I didn't know that I had the ability to even do anything like that. And uh, to to call down the elements or control the elements or command the elements or whatever. And uh, I don't think God put me in this situation. Maybe he did. I don't know. And I'm driving south out of uh, Idaho. I was coming down from Montana, and I, was, I had two empty trailers, two FedEx trailers. And uh, if you know anything about FedEx trailers, when they're empty and they wiggle and they, they're a pain in the butt. Anyway, um, I knew that if uh, if I was in one storm, that uh, if, I, if one of the trailers – got tipped over, I lost my job. So I come down out of the mountains, uh, come down out of Malad, Idaho, down I-15, come into the area really close to to Tree Mountain. And, And the wind's like kicking my butt. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? So I call the dispatch office in North Salt Lake and I was like, what's going on? And he's all, yeah, there's a windstorm 70 mile an hour winds, like, I was like, what do I do? And he's all, well, you need to you need to find a place to park under an underpass or something. And there's, like, no underpass anywhere where I was at. And uh, he says, if, if you lay the trailers down, you'll lose your job. Okay, well, what am I supposed to do? I get two empty trailers and 70 mile an hour winds. And... Uh, I don't want to lose my job. I mean, oh my gosh, I we couldn't afford to lose my job. Of course, I never can afford to lose my job. I don't make a grand amount of money, but um, I'm praying to God. I'm like, please help me. Like, I need you to help me because, like, if I lose my job, I don't know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And uh, he says, pull the truck over and use the authority that I gave you to command the wind to stop. And I was like, what? <laughs> I can do that? <laughs> and um, so I pull over on the shoulder of the road. And I got out of the, and I stood in front of the truck on the shoulder of the road with both my arms to the square to the east, facing east. And uh, I commanded the wind to stop using authority that I was given. And within five minutes, it was a light breeze. And within 10 minutes, all the dust started falling out of the sky. Like, because it was, it was, it's kind of dark because of all the dust and this storm, this dust storm, this windstorm. And I was excited because I had never done that before. I never even thought I could, you know. So I called my wife and, uh, you know, like before all this happened for me, she had decided unbeknownst to me to walk to a grocery store with Emmett, who was seven years old, 10 years ago. Uh, maybe he was eight. No, I don't think, I think he was seven. Yeah, he said something like that. He's standing here listening to me. Uh, Lydia, who was four, and Eliza, who was uh, – yeah, yeah, she was like, okay, May, June, July, August. She was three months old. And we only had one car. Actually, it wasn't a car. It was a motorhome. And because uh, our car was broke down, our our van was broke down, we had money to fix this this motorhome that uh, just sucks gas. And we lived in Spanish Fork, and the yard was in North Salt Lake. So I drove the motorhome up, you know, because it's the only way for me to get to work so Kim doesn't have a car, so she walks like a mile to the grocery store or whatever with this three-month-old baby, this four-year-old girl, and this the goat master, who is seven. She's the goat master. <laughs> Tell me about how Luke's right poppers. Oh, he wants you to know that our goat Luke, who is a big boy, stole his bag of jalapeno poppers earlier today when we were feeding um Hey, Luke. Ugh. Anyway, so anyway, um, so they went to the grocery store, and it was a blustery day. It wasn't 70 mile an hour Pegasus Manus Fork like it was up in Tremont, but it was not. She comes out of the store, and she's got to push this uh, stroller full of groceries, this baby and these two kids up this bike trail, up to uh and uh, on a sidewalk and whatever uh, about a mile away to our townhouse that we rented and my wife was in the midst of pushing the stroller full of groceries and kids up the hill and i call and i'm all excited oh guess what i did and uh i told her how i commanded the wind to stop and it stopped and she was like couldn't you have waited 20 minutes yeah couldn't you have waited 20 minutes till I got home and uh, she was not impressed. She was irritated because it was so hot because the wind had stopped. And uh, that was the first time that I was able to command the elements. Uh, the second time, after my aunt had for, uh, found out that I had the ability to do these things, um, the second time actually didn't command the elements I asked a blessing for my aunt because they didn't have any money for hay. They had livestock, there was no water. The reservoir was was drying up there was no irrigation water uh the The fields were dry and I asked God by the authority given to me to send her rain and every single day it was a light mist and it would rain drizzle all of the fields got green reservoir started filling up again now something kind of funny about this it wasn't really funny but I guess if you google it you'll find it Fort Collins, Colorado had a thousand-year flood. So did Denver, so did a whole bunch of other places, all the way down to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So at that time, I was hauling FedEx freight from North Salt Lake to Denver. And I'd go back and forth and, like, I couldn't go through Fort Collins because it was flooded out, and that's the, that's the, the route that I usually take, Fort Collins. Um, I mean, it was bad. I had to go to Cheyenne and drop down that way to get to Denver. Anyway, so uh get down to Denver, and I am standing in the yard, and there's about three feet of water, standing water in the yard. Emma. Go find out what what the dog is doing, please. Yeah, he was doing something he shouldn't be doing. That trash needs to be taken out. It's full, and he's going to grab some food off of it, and he's going to eat something he shouldn't be eating. Anyway, so um, I'm standing in about three feet of water, dropping my trailer in a flood. (laughs) You know, the docks are, like, four or five feet high. So, like, the trailers aren't, like, the packages can be in there, you know. But it was flooded pretty bad. And uh, I rose both my arms to the square. And I commanded the rain to stop. I was like, that's enough. Stop. And it stopped. It took three days. For all of that water to clear out of there but it stopped when I told it to stop by the authority of Mashiach by the authority given to me of the Father as a second witness it stopped Now I didn't ask for that curse to happen I asked for a blessing for my aunt but the curse did happen, it coincided with the blessing. And my aunt was blessed, and the wicked Gentiles were (laughs) cursed. But when I said stop, it stopped. So uh, one other time, um, after I found out that I could command the elements, I actually tried to command the. uh, I I tried to command something just to see if I could, because I was like, "Wow, if I could do that, I wonder if I could do this." And the thing I was asking for is just for the high cloud cover to go away so the sun would shine bright. And uh I was ignored. So I don't have uh a hundred percent ability to do whatever I want, but God was giving me a taste of what ability I do have for the future. Let's see here. Therefore, fear and tremble, O ye devil, for ye shall be bound by him, that my people shall be free. For ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, saith the Lord. For will I that that ye should be in the valley of death any longer? Yea, they shall foam and gnash their teeth, but their day is over, saith the Lord. Therefore, this commandment I give unto you, that you shall provide for him, that he shall do my work. And if you do not these things, saith the Lord, I will reserve your people unto me who shall receive him. That they shall be revealed the mysteries of the kingdom and of my life, which is eternal, saith the Lord, that they may partake freely thereof even the waters thereof. Mm-hmm. And all who will come into my servant shall be blessed, and all who receive him shall not be damned and burned, saith the Lord. For he, even he, hath a right to the keys of the priesthood, saith the Lord. For it is by his by lineage and by right in his lineage, saith the Lord, hath been hidden from the world and also from the church, that it might be made manifest even at this time, saith the Lord, that they might be proven in all things, that they too may be co-heirs with mine only begotten, saith the Father. And I will that all rich and poor come unto me through my servants and drink from that well of living water spoken of. And he that receiveth my servants receiveth me, saith the Lord God of Israel. Remember, all powers, conferrals, priesthoods, offices are hereby done away in me, and one, even one remaineth, that ye must receive your salvation and ordinances and conferrals from him who is appointed in any council or the effects thereof are hereby annulled, saith the Lord." that ye may know that I am your God and sweareth with an oath and will not repent, saith the Lord, that ye shall not enter into my rest except it be through my servant whom I have appointed. See, in Daniel chapter 12, it talks about the man clothed in linen who severs the power of all the holy people in the last days. Well, Uh, In the last days, who are the people who are the power of God? That's the saints, right? The holy people. What's the power? That's the priesthood. The holy people are the Latter-day Saints and and those of the the restoration theology, which Daniel sees a specific servant severing, severing the power of all the holy people. So the one who does it, he's called the man clothed in linen. That's a picture of purity, by the way. He's not, he's not mingled with wool. He is pure. He's wearing pure linen. That, that's a picture for you. And he does the severing. It says he raises his right right hand to the air and his left hand to the air. What is that? That's a Melchizedek priesthood ordinance that is being done. Now, when he severs or scatters the power of all the holy people, who is the one who still has the authority? The man clothed in linen That prophecy was fulfilled July of 2013. That prophecy was fulfilled by me. I did not even know that that prophecy existed at the time when the Father told me to do. When he told me to do it, I said, why do you want me to do this? He says, because if they will not accept you as my witness, I will not accept them. Part of the setting the house of God in order is, is severing the priesthood and the conferrals and ordinations of all the holy people bringing it all back down to one man and dispersing it out again to set the house of God in order not the church the house it was prophesied in Daniel chapter 12 it was fulfilled in July of 2013 The powers of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and may not be controlled nor handled except upon the principles of righteousness, saith the Lord God. And if the president. Well, I'm not going to get into this. So um, we only have 12 minutes left on the program for tonight. We don't have anybody in the chat room. And we don't have anybody on the phone lines. And I already gave up. Number, so uh, I just think it's weird that they would list me fifth, in the top, like fifth in the top twenty-five. Like, and like people listen to the stuff I I teach. I go into some deep doctrines and stuff, but like, I don't I don't see how in the world I could be fifth in the top twenty-five of all Mormon podcasts. Like I'm. I think there's a lot better podcasters. I think John Job, job won't end him sometimes. I used to really like him. Bill Real. I used to really like him too. Now he's become a pompous ass. But uh he still does some good pop podcasts. Mormon discussions podcasts. And I like Radio Free Mormon. But uh you should check him out too. Radio Free Mormon, um, another really good one, which is actually right now on YouTube, is Mormonism Live. That's a really good one. Um, the Sunstone podcast, right, they're all good, you know. And I like to listen to them, but um, but I beat a bunch of them out, which is weird because I don't think this is a popular podcast, but whatever. Anyway, people don't like to call in on the live. And you know what? I'm going to bitch about that for as long as I feel like bitching about it because this is my podcast, and I don't care if you like me or not because so I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing because guess what I'm doing it for? not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the Father because he asked me to do it. And I'm leaving without excuse. Part of the two the two witnesses that, that die in the streets of Jerusalem, one of them is God the Witness. And I asked why. Why are they going to be murdered in the streets? Like Joseph Smith said that when God the Witness came, he would do the same or similar things as Jesus Christ did. Well, God the Witness is one of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. He preaches. And he's put. And on the third day, he's raised again in resurrection. I said, Heavenly Father, why, why do they have to die like this? He says, Because they're ha- they have to be left with that excuse. They will know that the second witness is dead, and his his companions dead too. And it says the whole world will rejoice because the whole world is watching it on television. And they will all see the two witnesses rise again. And it says great fear comes upon them at that point. At that point, they'll realize that these two witnesses, they weren't screwing around. They were exactly who they claimed to be. Exactly who they claim to be. Now in Zechariah chapter four verse fourteen, it talks about the two witnesses, right? Well, chapter five, the very next part of that vision, Zechariah sees a scroll that's about forty feet long flying through the air, and the the translation is actually bad. Because Isha, um, I can't remember. Like fire, woman, and burnt offering, they all have the same continents in he- the Hebrew language. They all look like the exact same word, right? There were no vowel markers. There were no vowel markers until after the destruction of the Second Temple, after 70 A.D. After 70 AD, the, the the disbursement happened with the Jews, and they, they were like, oh, we better get some vowel markers in this alphabet so that we can differentiate between different words. And, uh, and so they did. But Zechariah writes about this fire, this evil fire that got translated into woman because it's the same stupid consonants. Oh, drives me nuts. Oh, yeah. My son's like, it auto-corrected it. It didn't really auto-correct. It wasn't computers. It was idiots translating. They didn't know what they were talking about. So, anyway, in the King James Version, basically, it says, there's going to be this roll that is uh, 20-something meters long uh, by like 1.5 or 2.5 meters in circumference. So, like, Oh, I don't know, the size of a Peacekeeper missile or the Minuteman missile. And uh, and in the top of this roll, there's going to be a container with an evil woman in it, and the container is going to be surrounded by lead. Okay, they were like, oh, what was Zachariah smoking? Like, that just sounds weird. Why? This is all symbolic. No, it wasn't. Because it wasn't an evil woman. It was an evil fire. Like, and the lead was to protect the people from the radiation until the nuclear bomb blew up. Zachariah saw that. And he said that there was two, two women on either side of the plot scroll that flew between earth and heaven at great speeds huh that's not rocket it's not a missile it is the two the two ones that's just the two uh fires coming out of the bottom of the missile and and, the, and this this missile or these missiles but right, they would be a great great curse to all the earth it talks about these missiles these flying scrolls with these three women flying along, I guess. Uh, destroying cities and, and people and <laughs> But see, Zechariah saw the vision of the two witnesses and then he saw that. So in Revelation chapter eleven, after the two witnesses are put to death does that mean that there's going to be a nuclear missile attack after that happens I don't know it sounds kind of like maybe that might be what that guy was talking about but it doesn't matter like the way I look at it que sera, sera. nuclear wars happen sometimes Gentiles get what Gentiles get so anyway, I think we're going to be done with the program for tonight. And uh, we'll come back on, on Friday night at 6 p.m. And when we come back on Friday night at 6 p.m., we're going to be talking about, I don't know, let me see here. I recorded this the other night. I can't remember all the... Let me pull up this studio... Oh, sorry. Next. Well, I better I better leave that studio alone and pull it up a different way. Let's see here. All right. So um, the next program is going to be God's Law, pages one twenty five to 131 of the four crafts of the devil's kingdom it'll start at 6pm and uh, that'll be on the 14th of October 2022 from 6pm to 8pm So, alright all right, well it's going to be a two hour program but that's another one of the books thank you for listening everyone take care God bless goodbye. <laughs>